0: This is the Inclusion Think Tank podcast brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, NJCIE, where we talk about inclusive education, why it works, and how to make it happen. On today's episode, we welcome our guest, Dr. Jessica Bacon. Dr. Bacon is associate professor at Montclair State University in the Department of Teaching and Learning, where she teaches classes on inclusive education and disability studies. During our conversation today, we will discuss the Increasing Access to College project that she co-founded at Montclair as it relates to inclusive education and why it is important to begin teaching inclusion and anti-ableism curricula in early childhood classrooms. to another episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast. I am your host, Arthur Aston, and this podcast is brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education. I am happy to welcome my guest today, Dr. Jessica Bacon. Dr. Bacon is an assistant professor of teaching and learning at Montclair State University. And uh, Jessica, welcome to the podcast today. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
1: Thank you, happy to be here.
0: Yes, so uh, you and I met uh, briefly over the summer uh, in person at the NJCIE Summer Conference and um, Dr. Priya Lavani, she uh, introduced us and immediately when she introduced us and we had a chance to talk over lunch for a few minutes, um, I knew you would be a great guest for uh, the podcast. So I'm really happy to have you join us today. And uh, to start the conversation off, can you share with the audience a little bit more about yourself?
1: Sure. Um, So, yes, I am a professor, actually associate now, recently tenured um, at Montclair State. And um, so I have been here uh, at Montclair State for about seven years now. Um, So I'll tell you a little bit about my background before I got here. um, I grew up in Ohio and um, in the Cleveland area I went to undergraduate at a small school called the College of Worcester and I studied uh, sociology and education. and so that was actually a really good background for where I ended up going, those two fields of study coming together. Um, and then I started working while I was still an undergrad. Um, I had a, a friend recruit me to come and work at a summer camp in Connecticut. Um, that was uh, run through the arc. Um, And so it was a summer camp for adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, So I was sort of thrust into the world of disability at that point and got really interested in it. Um, And so that's sort of where my um, focus of my career stayed ever since then. I was 20 when I first started that work. Um, And then I um, you know, got my teaching degree. Did actually did my student teaching in New Zealand, um, and then I started working more actually in um, adult services for for people with disabilities. So I worked in a group home. I worked as a job coach. Um, I did I did various things like that, um, and then I decided it was time to go back to grad school. And so I was sort of interested in the combination of sociology, education and disability at that point. And so I sort of stumbled onto the field of disability studies um, by kind of putting doing some research on um, those kind of three fields together. Um, and it looked really interesting to me. And it was, you know, a critical approach to understanding the, you know, kind of history and phenomenon of how disability is understood in our society. Um And so I found quickly that um, one of the best programs was at Syracuse. So um, my my master's degree was in cultural foundations um, of Education and Disability Studies at Syracuse. Um, and I loved it. One of the things that I did right away, that has also really informed my work up till today um, is that I started working um, with the self advocates um, that worked kind of in collaboration with the university, um, and there was a center there called the Center of Human Poli- um, yeah, Center for Human Policy that actually was like back in the day was the um, a center that was instrumental in shutting down institutions for people with um, you know more significant disabilities. So I got really I learned so much from the people um, who were advocating for their own rights um, you know right away as I was studying uh, disability studies. And at that point I just couldn't imagine leaving or stopping um, learning because there was so many great faculty at Syracuse and um, I got to explore so many things so I decided to stay for my doctorate um, but because I had the background in education, I decided to, to um, pursue my doctorate in special education, but it still had the strong, critical disability studies um, perspective. Um, that's sort of how Syracuse does everything um, related to to disability and special ed. Um, so it was a great education there. Um, I, I continued to work with self-advocacy groups and um, all of that all the way through my doctoral studies. Um, and I, I pivoted to my research being um, interested in, Actually, uh, failing schools and um, standards-based reform and high-stakes testing movements, and how those impacted um, in more impoverished areas the inclusion and exclusion of kids with um, with disabilities and more significant disabilities, kids who are multiply marginalized, um, and so that's been a, a strong area of of interest. But alongside um, topics of curriculum and access to, um, you know, learning in in school and society for kids with more significant disabilities. So that's kind of maintained um, throughout. So um, before I came to Montclair State, I worked for three years as a professor at um, Lehman College, which is part of CUNY in the Bronx, um, and then found found this job, which had a lot of other people doing similar disability studies oriented work to me within teacher education. And so, um, this has been a really great fit and a great place for me to be, you know, for, for a while. Um, so that's, that's a little bit about my background.
0: (laughs) That's great. I, um, I, I always like to ask a question, uh, like that to people to see where they began their, um, you know, the interest, where the interest started uh, in the disability studies and quite a few uh, times I found that people started, uh, you know, at summer camps, volunteering at summer camps and uh, when they were young or young adults in, in college and things like that. So that's uh, it's really, really cool to uh, have people answer that question. I always like to find out a little bit more about uh, how you became interested in uh, topic like disability studies and, um, you know, topics related to inclusion. Right, right. Yeah. So, um, one of the, uh, many things that you have done, um, there at Montclair and, uh, throughout your career, uh, is that, uh, you founded, you co-founded uh, the increasing access to college project there at Montclair State University. Can you share with, uh, our listeners what that uh, project is about and, um, you know, just information about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. Um, so this has been a project that um, I have done with my colleague, uh, Dr. Sue Baglieri. And so um, actually the way it started, um, and I think it was like, at, as I was starting my first year at Montclair, Sue was kind of um, beginning the very, very early work um so she was actually approached by a local day habilitation center um to have some of our teacher ed students collaborate with the folks that went there that were young adults um, and they actually wanted her to send our students over there um, and she went to visit and realized that you know from from an inclusive ed perspective um, and these are for students who are learning to be high school and secondary teachers um that it wasn't um you know it wasn't as inclusive as as the goals that we have for for our students to learn from so instead she actually invited the folks to come to campus and collaborate on campus um and with her with her class and so it sort of just started off as a class project um, and then i became involved and actually one of the things i didn't mention that i also did um while i was at syracuse is um Syracuse has a really, really strong um, program. It's now called Inclusive University, but it's been, um, they've had a few different kind of sub-programs under that. And so when I was actually um, a teaching assistant for, um, for Doug Bicklin, I, what my first teaching assistant job was to actually support the peer relationships for a teacher um, education course at Syracuse um, with the intellectual, the students with intellectual disabilities who are on campus. So I got um, involved and informed about that kind of work in my doctoral, um, studies So Sue asked me to work with her um, to sort of expand um, the work at Montclair State, and so one of the um, first partners we have, we actually um, were in collaboration with Bloomfield High School, and they um, there was a state grant um, to improve transition services. Um, This was like six years ago or so. So we worked with Bloomfield to apply for this grant. We did not get the grant. However, we decided to basically do most of the work that was in the grant proposal anyways, without any money. Um, And so about six years ago, we informally kind of started working with our teacher ed students and a group of, um, of students from Bloomfield High School who were transition age. So, um, you know, they're 18 to 21 year olds. Um, and the, the district provided support by bringing up, um, you know, teaching assistants or paraprofessionals and um, they provided the busing. And we um, had our teacher ed students um, finding, you know, developing relationships with them and finding learning and social and recreational opportunities um, on campus kind of through the back door. So over time, um, we, we realized that like trying to do everything through the back door was um, not the most effective um, route and it, it really didn't provide, you know, quote unquote, full inclusion for our students. Um, they didn't have IDs. They weren't able to get in systems. Um, you know, some of them we started informally um, getting the, having professors agree that they could audit or sitting in courses. Um, so over time, we've established a lot of structures and policies and practices um, at the university. So now, um, when our students come, we now partner um, with, we have a we have a very new, very early partnership with Clifton. We actually just have one student from Clifton. We've been partnering with Montclair Public Schools now for a couple of years, and we've had our our longest and most robust partnership is is still with Bloomfield. Um, we have anywhere usually from like six to ten students um, from Bloomfield come up every day. Um, And so um, now the students, every student um, audits one or two courses every semester. Um, They, and then um, everything is peer supported. So we work with our Center for Community Engagement um, on campus. And so we get student volunteers who are Bonnar leaders um, through that. Uh, we sometimes collaborate with service learning students from other courses and other disciplines. And then our teacher ed students often will do um, volunteer work, A, because they like it and they want to or because it's part of a course. Um, and so now our students, um, yeah, they they audit courses, they get support, they go to a class with a peer, with a same age peer. Um, they go to the gym or go to events. They do any kind of recreational stuff, other undergraduates Um, would do and you know they get some support for their their homework and their schoolwork Um, so now it's a pretty robust inclusive experience after a lot of years of development Um, and then the other thing we're really very excited about that um, it seems ready to to announce um, is that we have created a certificate program um, and we've got we have um, a, a generous donation um, from the the Lacey family, um, it, which is a local Montclair family. Um, the Lacey Wendy uh, owns and runs Cornerstone Montclair, which, which is an inclusive um, store, just general store. Um, and so we are uh, planning at this point to be launching a certificate program um, next fall, hopefully. Um, So that is moving forward um, and that we have developed like a full curriculum, it's a two year program at this point where students would come um, and they would take about nine credits per semester for two years, it has an internship component, Um, and so yeah we're, we're excited that we are Going to be able to announce and launch um, that for starting next fall, so we'll be able to have an incoming class of students that are either are or are not associated with a with a high school transition program. It could also be a post high school um, student um, who isn't able to access higher ed through a traditional um, route, and they would be able to come to campus through the certificate program, get peer support, and take courses either for audit or for credit uh, depending on you know their their interests and choices so it's a little bit of a long history about where we where we've come and where we are now
0: and it shows I think the dedication and determination that you all had to see it through because it's you know it, it was long like you said but it's paying off right now and to have um, and Wendy she was uh, a guest on the podcast last season. She's great. Um, it's, you know, it's it's really great to see everything come together and start, um, you know, you start seeing results from the hard work that everybody has put in for uh, for this project to work. And, uh, you know, congratulations to everybody. That's really, really exciting.
1: <laughs> it's been a long, a long process and it's taken a lot of um, advocacy, you know, um, <laughs> on a lot of people's part but we're excited because they're new we have a new president and a new provost and um you know their mission is really supporting um community partnerships and community engaged work and our students learning you know in connection with community members so um you know we're we're excited that they they have committed to you know continuing this work um because you never know what's going to happen when you have a change in leadership so um we feel pretty optimistic at this point in that so
0: yeah so it's it's again it's great work that you all are doing there at Montclair. Um, you know, um, in addition to what you're doing, uh, are there any other college programs in the State of New Jersey that you're aware of uh, that are working uh, toward increasing the inclusivity? and diversity of students with disabilities in their um, higher education settings on their campuses. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, So there are, I actually just looked it up today to see how many exactly there were in New Jersey. Um, So if if anybody's interested in knowing more, there's a national coordinating center. There are about 260-ish programs in the U.S. Um, And then there is, um, there has been federal grant support for uh, inclusive post-secondary education programs um, over the last almost 20 years now, Um, the grant is called TIPSID, Um, but if you go to thinkcollege.net or to the Think College website, you'll find a lot of information about these programs. Um, so they have also a map for each state. Um, so in New Jersey, there's 10 other programs listed. Um, the ones that are most well-known, um, and so the the College of New Jersey, it's called Career and Community Studies. That program has been around uh, for, I think, at least 20 years or so. So they were kind of one of the early programs. They run a residential program. Um, so that's that's a good opportunity. Um, the other one that we've collaborated with quite a bit is uh, Turning Point, which is at Bergen Community College. Um, they have kind of vocational specific programs that lead to, um, you know, specific uh, certificates in different uh, vocational interests. Um, so that's another really um, interesting program. Um, Georgian Court has a newer program, I think it's small so far, but it's a, a residential program. Um, a couple of colleges use um, a national nonprofit that moves into campuses called College Steps. So Kane and County College of Morris um, have, have programs. Um, so, you know, it's sort of interesting because we've also in our building of, of the IAC at Montclair State, um, we've done a lot of research both on our own programs we've've we've published a couple of articles um, we've been interested in actually looking at and this you know aligns to our both Sue and I are our, our disability studies um, scholars so we're really interested in allowing the voice of people with disabilities to help inform our decision making so we've um, we've done some' Um, research, uh, participant observation, um, qualitative-oriented type research, and listened a lot to the the students who have come here. Um, And so, you know, we've, and, and, you know, what we've learned from them really is that um, belonging and peer relationships has been so central um, to the program, and so has the, the real thinking through what inclusion means as an evolving concept, as we, um, you know, have folks on a college campus that um, historically, you know, academia is, um, you know, thought of as sort of a more elite, right? You, you need an elite way of understanding knowledge to participate. Um, and so we're really we think that this kind of work pushes the boundaries of like that way of thinking about academia. So I say that to say, um, you know, I think if you look at the national landscape of these programs, they really vary in um, how they approach ideas of inclusion and inclusivity. Um, So some are frankly, you know, they, they bring people to campuses, but they're not fully integrated or integrated at all into um, the college, the learning that's going on on campuses, where others, um, you know, are, are really fully integrated. I think a lot of the, um, the work in New Jersey, um, and, they, and we actually, there's a New Jersey higher ed coalition um, that we participate in, too, that has, um, that we work together to kind of share best practices. So I think it's nice that a lot of the work in New Jersey has really pushed this idea of um, inclusive opportunity. So there's a lot of great um, and varied op- options and opportunities um, for for folks to look at um, across the state.
0: Um, yeah, that's um, really great. And Thanks for um, mentioning that website. That's a great a resource for sure, um, to find, you know, all the information in one spot that's always <laughs> a helpful, <laughs> a helpful thing. And to hear that there are so many, um, you know, colleges in New Jersey that are offering these yeah. types of uh, programs and to, to help uh, those with disabilities and I love, I love what you said about listening to those uh, who have participated in your, you know, in your program there at Montclair. Like I think listening to the the disabled voices uh, is very important, so I I know you mentioned that you are currently working with um, certain school districts there in in your area for um, this uh, IAC and um, so is it limited to those schools, do you all have uh, space for more schools to join or can you tell us where that is possibly heading in in that direction. (laughs)
1: Um, So, you know, it's we're we're excited that we we believe that under our new administration, the um, the agreement that we have seems stable, because that was also under question whether the the partnership with school districts would be able to continue in the same way as we launch the certificate program. Um, At this point, I'm not sure that we have unlimited capacity, because um, honestly, it's Sue and I. running the pro- program and we this is like essentially volunteer work for us because we have full-time jobs in teaching and research and running other programs and such. Um, but uh, you know we're always open to conversations and sharing um, you know what what we do with other districts. Um, I think the more uh, clear opportunity for other districts actually to to get involved is is maybe not through the uh, what we call the fellowship partner that we're partnership that we're doing with districts right now. But um, if districts are interested in the certificate program, um, we are absolutely um, going to be, you know, we're going to be launching in the fall, we're going to be looking for our first class of students to um, come join we are you know, intending to hire a director this academic year. Um, and so if, if, folks, if folks who work in school districts um, are interested in supporting their students to um, join the certificate program, um, that would absolutely be something that we would, would be willing to, um, to talk with folks about because um, yeah, that's, that's an exciting opportunity for, for those that want to apply.
0: It is. It's a very exciting opportunity. That's. Uh, it's really. Again, it's just great. Um, I, I love hearing these. Uh, having these types of conversations and seeing where things have uh, come so far from when I was, you know, in college uh, twenty years ago, which is hard for me to believe, but um, <laughs> to hear that you know the conversations are still being had and change is actually being made. Uh, to assist those, uh, and what you said earlier about um, the, I guess, the misconception that you have to have, you know, college is something elite and, and, uh, you know, the elite level of thinking and and things like that, and just to change that, um, change that that conversation, and to make people realize that, you know, college is accessible and uh, inclusive uh, for all students, and uh, you know, so making those changes and uh, having these conversations and getting the word out about these programs that exist in the state of New Jersey and around the country is uh, so very important. Yeah. Um, and I
1: think that you know the the assumptions so many people have about you know youth, young adults with intellectual disability labels, right, is that their capacity or even interest in learning um, advanced concepts or, you know, developing their skills and talents in um, subject areas like philosophy or like sociology or, you know, even like the arts or education, right, these fields, Um, You know, there's there's so often assumptions that like that's not for for this group. Um, And we found so such the opposite, um, you know, in in allowing people to have the opportunity to explore these ideas. Um, and it's also impacted, I think, our high school partners and how they even see the li- literacy capabilities of the students who um, attend. Right there, they begin seeing that these students actually have much more uh, capabilities and interests. Um, yeah, so we believe, especially as a public institution, that ha- access to higher ed should be available for those who desire it. Some people may be- need support. Um, you know, we really think about instead of gaining skills towards. Independence. We look at how interdependent relationships with their peers, with with everybody around them, allows people to um, do things that and and explore opportunities that um, are naturally available on college campuses that that people just didn't think was appropriate for that group of people. So, Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) yeah, and uh, that uh, leads leading into our next question. Uh, You have been at this work for many years now, and, um, you know, it it can sometimes be uh, a struggle and, uh, you know, things come up and that you didn't expect. So can you share with us uh, some of the challenges that arise when getting students with intellectual disabilities fully included into uh, college? And uh, can you also share with us some ways in which uh, those challenges can be overcome?
1: Yeah, sh- sure. So, um, some of the barriers that you know I think we've noticed, and this is not unique to Montclair State, but it's also you know pretty well documented in uh, the broader literature base. Um, I think is that assumptions. I mean, I've talked a lot about assumptions already, right? But um, you know, ableism is is alive and well in our society, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and. Um, so I think, um, you know, this, these like reliances on uh, low expectations, or sometimes it's the idea of like, even um, exceptional protectionism is sort of a necessary response. So um, we've definitely seen in some of our interactions with, um, you know, university level, um, uh, you know, I don't know how to exactly say it, but bureaucracies that sometimes there's worry, worry that this group of people, um, isn't going, shouldn't be exposed to these particular kinds of ideas. Um, or even from some of the family or community partners, um, you know, there's, there's worries that like adult content that's naturally available on, um, on a college campus is not going to be appropriate for a particular group of students. Um, And I think that goes back to assumptions that um, we need to protect young adults because they have intellectual disabilities and that a step further back even goes to the idea, right? That um, these this group of people has like a more childlike experience of understanding the world or can't be exposed to things like sexuality discussions, which are common on college campuses. Mm-hmm. Um, so those kinds of, um, you know, and and just like the nature of, of bureaucracy, right, that there are it's inflexible. And so to ask for them to become more flexible is sometimes a challenge. But It's also been a beautiful surprise, on the other hand, that when um, we actually work together and have conversations with different offices across campus, when we've worked with different faculty, we found incredible openness and willingness um, and kind of on the more individual level for for people to just kind of figure it out. Um, There may not be, there's never a perfect formula, you know, and a lot of, The faculty have said, "Oh wow! Like it's really stretched my thinking about my teaching practices, and has actually made me a better teacher for all my students." So those kinds of things have been just really beautiful surprises um, as well. That answer question?
0: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, it's um, as you said. From you know, from the challenges, we can find the the beauty and the surprises that come out and. and and realize to uh, you know how to start making change and making people uh, change their way of thinking and the assumptions that they make um, you know so that that's how we do it and and it's uh, really really great that it's all you know that it's all happening there and uh, this uh, last part uh, last question that I have it uh, touches on ableism which you uh, just brought up which is um, it's been a, I found that. You know, personally, I found that it has been a uh, topic of conversation uh, throughout the social media world, especially the last two years or so, that a lot of people have been home and um, realizing how things are not accessible to uh, people with disabilities, and uh, it's been a a really big topic. And uh, so I wanted to bring up uh, this last question, which is that you have collaborated with one of our previous guests on the podcast who introduced us, Dr. Priya Lavani, and uh, on some research. So can you share with us some of the information about the research you did with uh, Dr. Lavani on um, the article entitled, Rethinking We Are All Special, anti ableism Curricula in Early Childhood Classrooms? Yeah,
1: for sure. Um, Yes. So one of the things um, that I think is is pretty prevalent in our K-12, and now I'm kind of moving more from higher ed into K-12 systems, um, is that disability is a dirty word that shouldn't be talked about. Um, I think kids from early ages, um, you know, learn this idea that by just the fact that like, it's often silenced, right? When a kid has a really natural question about human diversity, um, you know, which, which is in our society, we often define as disability. Um, we tell the kid to be quiet or not to ask or that it's rude to ask or that it's rude to stare or that natural, you know, um, natural int- interest and curiosity is just something that, that shouldn't be pursued. And so um, we feel pretty strongly, and this is what this article is about. Um, we also have another article that has a similar, um, a similar kind of outcome and uh, topic that's more practitioner oriented for early childhood classrooms. Um, So in in both of those articles, we kind of tackle the idea that, um, you know, schools tend to reinforce silence um, by not addressing disability openly in our K-12 classrooms. And, um, you know, kids learn a really strong message about disability when it's silenced that it is something terrible and something that shouldn't be discussed ever. Um, And so that reinforces negative stereotypes. and so, and at the same time, we have our highly segregated system that also reinforces that the this group of people is often not there, they're not learning together, or if they are in the school, right, we're seeing them in separate rooms and separate spaces. And so that's like another way that negative understandings of disability are are reinforced um, in, in young children. And um, so our our kind of proposal in these articles are that um, we should be directly integrating conversations about disability into our curriculum. There are a lot of ways to do this um, effectively um, at all levels of, of, you know, ages. Um, And so, um, and then, you know, kind of going back to a point we were discussing earlier, right? And, And I think similar to the work that you also do outside of this podcast, Um, is that we should be learning these um, insights uh, from people who have lived with disabilities. Um, It shouldn't be outsiders necessarily um, explaining what it means to live with a disability. Um, Kids are going to have better role models and more nuanced understandings of disability if they learn um, from the perspectives of people with disabilities. And there are a lot of ways to do that um, at all different um, ages there are great children's books from first person perspectives there are um you know there's a lot of writing for older kids um you know there's a lot of films that we've had a lot more i think great films come out um around uh, the disability rights and civil rights movements that are appropriate especially at the higher uh grade levels for kids to watch and interrogate um so you know there's then there's also um Other themes around difference and diversity. Um, So we talk about intersectional um, differences too, right? So what does it mean to have the experience of, uh, you know, an LGBTQ person who has a disability at once, and how do we understand that? Um, You know, I think our schools have done a lot of work over the last, and of course, there's like backlash to this right now. um, But you know. There's a lot of curricular work that's been done around anti-racism, for instance, um, and approaches and tools and techniques for teaching that to to all all levels. Um, And that would be a whole other conversation to talk about the the national discourse on that right now. Um, But there hasn't been a lot of work or prominence in talking about anti-ableism with with kids in schools in the same way that other minority groups have gotten, um, you know, You know it's been really really worked on to integrate these conversations into the into the curriculum and discussions so that's a lot of what that work is about um and also um helping kids learn to be change agents at all levels um so we talk a little bit about um pedagogical techniques um that there's a a type of um credit critical pedagogy as a framework um, kind of out of the work of Paulo Freire um, that helps kids, um, you know, really learn about marginalization and discrimination, and then also learn about how to do something about it, even at small levels within their own school. So some of the stuff is how to integrate those kind of pedagogical techniques um, to learning about disability, disability history, and um, And then, you know, maybe applying it for kids to take action and make changes within their own, within their own schools and communities. So that's that's a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, I, um, of course, as I shared with you uh, before we started recording, um, how I am passionate about that type of work and educating, um, the K through 12 grade levels, um, about disabilities and as you said learning from someone who has a disability who lives that experience is um very important because it it starts conversations at home and you know for the uh high school students who are planning to go to college to major in certain areas you know that will give them an insight to okay if i'm going to go into architecture or you know hotel management or whatever insert their their career goals then they can go with that in mind to say, how is, you know, how can I make an impact for, you know, my customers who might come in with disabilities and, um, you know, so it's very, very important, um, you know, to, to do that and to have these conversations and uh, even at the, uh, I guess, in the uh, corporate world, the diversity, equity and inclusion conversations that are being had, as you mentioned. A lot of times they uh, are structured around the LGBTQ community and um, race, but uh, disability is often forgotten about in these conversations. So, uh, you know, it's very, um, very important that, you know, this type of research is being done to show uh, the importance of uh, speaking and and learning and educating others about uh, disability. So thank you uh, for all of the work that you're doing people like us and so many others who are doing this work, we really are making a change. Mm -hmm. And um, that I think that is the important thing uh, to keep in mind. And when things get hard and the challenges that we discussed earlier, and when all of those things come up, just remember that uh, to stay focused on the change that we know that we are uh, making uh, through uh, educating about inclusivity and inclusive education and just um making things better for those who live with disabilities so
1: and remembering that it can be um, a prideful identity category too Mm -hmm. it's not just I mean I think that's that's where our schools often um get it get it so wrong right is we're so embedded in the medical model in our schools and it's always viewed as such a deficit Mm -hmm. um and our you know and we we try at least um in, in our teacher ed program, and I think a lot of other teacher ed programs are tr- are doing this work too, um, to train future teachers to um, you know really be critical of the deficit medical model and look at um, you know disability in, in really different ways. Um, but I think um, you know starting by by talking about disability as something that can be a prideful identity category um, beyond just what is wrong with you, and what can our schools do to fix you is really important. Um, And it's an important piece of, you know, I know NJCIE does inclusive reform work, right? That is an important piece, in my opinion, of um, transforming schools. It's not just the structures of schools, but it's, um, I think that before we can even tackle the structures, we have to talk about the ways people think about disability, the ways people, the beliefs people have um, about disability and, and starting by just shifting those beliefs towards, you know, presuming competence and understanding the limits of the categories and understanding big issues of, you know, how minority groups get overrepresented into specific categories and why these categories aren't perfect and why segregation is, you know, um, harmful for, for kids and all of these things. I think, those ideologies are, are the, the starting point for transforming um the systems so.
0: yes so on that note Dr. Jessica Bacon thank you so much for joining me for this episode for this conversation I uh, truly enjoyed it and have learned uh so much and have been um you know inspired to keep going with uh, the work that i'm doing through this podcast and uh, just getting the again getting the word out getting the word out, I think, is so important. Um, because these programs, like uh, the one you have there at Montclair and the other uh, colleges, you mentioned, they exist and not everybody knows about them, so I think. Um, uh, for me personally, too, I can remember growing up and not knowing certain things and how difficult it was to find information about, uh, you know, something like learning how to drive. I can't use my legs, but I never knew it took me a long time to find out that hand controls exist, (laughs) um, and where I could go to get them and take driving lessons. It was, um, so I think having these types of conversations and putting them out to, uh, the world at large to, uh, make people aware that programs exist. And, uh, we are making changes for uh, those who have disabilities, I think is uh, so important. So thank you again for joining me for this conversation. I uh, appreciate it.
1: It was great. Thanks so much. Yes,
0: thanks. And you have a great day. We thank you for listening to this episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast. This podcast is brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, NJCIE. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at NJCIE. Until next time.